Well, last week we started this uh, new series, and in case you missed it, the idea behind this entire series, the big idea behind it is this statement, that God's plan for you will often require you to stretch beyond your current state. That in life sometimes following God's will for our lives means that we have to stretch beyond what comes naturally. Stretch beyond what is cultural. Um, Stretch beyond, as the tagline says, what is ordinary. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes when you stretch, there's a little bit of initial discomfort. Like if you're 40 or older like I am, and you bent over to try to touch your toes, you're going to feel some initial discomfort, which could turn into a tearing of your hamstring if you do it too quickly. But if you try to touch your toes every single day, likely you will eventually be more limber and be able to touch them without pain or tearing something because oftentimes this is true, that there is blessing on the other side of the stretch. And that is true when it comes to our life as well with God, that there can be blessing on the other side of areas of our life where God is calling us to stretch a little bit. And so last week at the end, we talked about three ways which we are uh, acknowledging that God is calling us to stretch as people and as a congregation. Those three ways are community. God intends for us to stretch, to be intentional with having certain friendships and relationships in our life to have community, growth, that we're not content to be where we are currently in our faith life, but that we want to grow and mature in our walk with God. And number three, to stretch when it comes to impact. This word has everything to do about purpose in life and doing things with our lives that are bigger than this life. And that God is calling every single Christian, every single person who calls Jesus their Savior, to stretch in these three ways. And what we want to do today and the next two weeks is just unpack these three things. So today, we're going to be concentrating on community. This past summer, my family and I had a chance to um, go uh, intertubing um, on the the Cannon River in Cannon Falls uh, or through Cannon Falls. What we actually did is we uh, went to this nice little place in the city of Welch, Minnesota, that has a tubing sort of business. And what they do is you get in their bus, you have your tube on a trailer in the back, and they bus you up about, uh, you know, two, three miles upriver. Then you get in the water and you tube back. Have any of you ever done something like this? Uh, Maybe a few of you. Maybe it was at the Cannon River. Maybe somewhere else. And I got to tell you, it's a lot of fun. And we're most definitely going to be doing it again. But here's one thing I want to tell you. That tubing on a river is not like tubing in a lazy river, in a water park, in Wisconsin Dells, or something like that, okay? And maybe you guys are smart enough to already have known that, but I was thinking about this, like, I'm just going to sit back, I'm going to have a a soda in hand, you know, some sort of beverage, and I'm just going to relax. But it wasn't that at all. You see, in in a lazy river, what happens is they control the water, okay? And along each side of the river, there's a cemented wall that's kind of sloped on the end. And in the really tricky parts of a lazy river, 
They'll actually have padding against the wall, right? The Cannon River does not have padding against the sides of the river. And so you can start out in the middle of the river, but what happens is you do not stay there. And so as we're going, we're having a good time, but there were certain points in the journey in which my 10-year-old's face did not have a face or expression of enjoyment, but instead of fear, like I'm going to die as we are heading straight towards some sort of tree branch overhead that honestly, I was a little scared a couple times too. Like I'm the dad, I'm supposed to protect us all. They would call me to the front of the tube and I'm supposed to like hold off the branch, which was not uh, always so easy or big rocks on the side or trunks of trees that have fallen into the water, all these things that are there. And there was also screaming going on by my 10-year-old as well. And you might say, if you've never done this before, well, then just stay in the middle of the river. Don't go along the shore. But the problem is, is that there's a current. (laughs) And the current doesn't always keep you in the middle of the river. And what happens when you're on a tube on the Cannon River, and I can just imagine other rivers too, that you are going to drift. And the truth of the matter is, is that often when you drift on the river, you're drifting someplace you do not want to go. What's true about tubing is true of life. This is our first fill-in for today, that we all have the tendency to drift, and we rarely drift in a good direction. We all have the tendency in life, in many or all areas, to drift, but, and we rarely, if ever, drift in a good direction. Has it ever happened to you if, again, you're a little bit older, so kids don't count on this one, where you woke up this morning and you looked down at your abs and you were surprised that they looked so good because just by accident you have a washboard stomach? Does that ever happen to an adult? Never, right? You don't drift your way into a good exercise routine. You don't drift your way into healthy eating habits. You drift your way into eating too much ice cream at night and deciding not to go exercise. Because when we drift, we rarely drift in a good direction. If you have a really healthy marriage relationship, it was intentional. You didn't drift into it. If no one ever would say, well, I just drifted into a good financial portfolio. Like it just kind of happened and all of a sudden my money's invested in the right way and I've budgeted things correctly and giving. No, you don't drift into that. You don't drift into a healthy, good schedule. You have to be intentional with it. It's just a principle. We all drift and understand we almost always drift in the wrong direction. We rarely drift in a good direction. And that's true of our relationship with God as well. If we don't give any thought to our faith life, to our walk with him, to the habits in life that God encourages when it comes to someone who would follow him, you will not accidentally fall into those things. And there's a lot of factors in that. I would say one of them with faith life would be just what's inside of us, a a sinful nature that directs us in the wrong way a lot. But there's also something else I want to point out that you already know, but I want to talk about it in this context, that every single day we are battling against the current of culture or current of the world. 
And the messages that we receive very rarely, if ever, coincide with the messages that we receive from the Bible. And so the messages we receive about success or about sex or about relationships or about what is appropriate online or about contentment and on and on and on about happiness, nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, the current of culture is pushing in the wrong direction. It's pushing us towards rocks and pokey tree limbs, okay? We all have the tendency to drift, and we rarely drift in a good direction. And I want to say that I am pointing this out not as an excuse for us to have. Like, okay, the reason I don't exercise is the couch. It's the couch's fault, right? Or blaming the ice cream for the fact that you have bad eating habits. Like, they're factors, but the problem is here. The problem is us. The problem is sin. I don't point out the current of culture as an excuse for you. I'm pointing it out is because when we are drifting, it is important for someone to mention it. It's, someone, it's important for someone to point out that there is a current that if you let it, if you don't think about it, it's going to take you in the wrong direction. Nine times out of ten. And so today what I'd like to do is unpack one of the ways that God has designed us to be positively impacted, to stay away from the shore, and to help us avoid drifting. See, 2,000 years ago, there was a group of Christians who had a a tide of cultural current that was weighing heavily on them. You think it's hard being a Christian in 19... Today's not 19 anything. 2018. You think it's hard being a Christian in 2018. Just think back 2,000 years ago. In this time, in this culture, it was outlawed to be a Christian in the Roman government. And the way that they fixed that was not by putting you in jail most of the time or by, you know, like saying, stop it. They killed you. Okay. And so there was a lot of current culturally getting people to avoid Jesus, to quit following him and denying him altogether. So there's this letter, we call it the letter of Hebrews. We're not even sure exactly which group of people it was written to, but more than likely some Christians along one of the cities along the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. And in this section, the writer gives that solution to what can help with drifting. And I just want you to see and understand that if it was helpful for them in the cultural climate they lived in, it's absolutely going to be appropriate for us in what I would call a much easier cultural climate than even they lived in. So here's how it starts. Hebrews chapter 10. This is one of my favorite sections of scripture. It has so directed me in my ministry and also in my life. It says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. What what hope do you think that is? The hope in Jesus, your faith. Let us hold unswervingly to Jesus. For he, Jesus, who promised his blessings of forgiveness and eternity and all of the blessing strength that come from Christ, he who promised is faithful. Now, I want to take us back to the Cannon River and the Bloomer's Little Tubing Expedition. You know how we were 
going down the river. To use this writer's words and God's inspiration, we were tubing down the river swervingly, okay? And if Addie, my 10-year-old, had a pen and paper, she would have written this, most likely. Let us tube unswervingly. Now, she would have never written that because Noah, none of us use this word uh, unless we're helping a teenager learn to drive, I suppose. But this is what she would have meant. What the writer is saying is that it is so important for Christians to be cognizant of the cultural current and to hold, to do the hard work of holding unswervingly. And that it's going to take work. It's going to take intentionality. We need to be mindful of all the factors. Why? Here's why. Because the further we get away from God, the further we get away from his blessing. And there's a certain point, and so often it happens, it just happens one day. We can't see people's hearts. Maybe you've experienced this in a season where that slowly getting away, that slow swerve ends up that you're in the trees and you're in danger of losing it all together, that walk with God. So the writer is saying, hey, this is important. Let us hold unswervingly. And then he gives some encouragement. And let us consider, you know, what the writer's saying is, we need to think about this. It's going back to how we don't usually drift in the right direction by accident. We never drift in the right direction. If we want to hold unswervingly, we need to think about it. We need to talk about it. 2,000 years later, we need to have a church that is unpacking these words and thinking about them and the problem that will happen if we don't hold unswervingly. Let us consider, that's what we're doing today, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I want to unpack this word spur for a moment. It is absolutely the same idea behind a cowboy having spurs on his boots and kind of putting them into the side of the horse. The only thing is when this word in the Greek was used, there were no cowboys and there likely were no spurs the way that we know them. This word in its roots means to irritate something. It means to make someone uncomfortable. And what the writer is saying as we look to together hold unswervingly is this. We need people in our lives who are willing to irritate us, so to speak, and wake us up, make us uncomfortable with some of the things that they might see in our lives. Let me take you back again to the Cannon River. Let's imagine that Ben here thought that tubing on the cannon was like tubing in a lazy river. And he ends up falling asleep on his tube, okay? And let's imagine that the current takes me heading straight towards some rocks or some other danger. If you loved me, which probably still to be debated, I'm sure, but if you loved me, you would yell for me to wake up. Does anyone like being waked up? Like the worst sound in the world is the alarm clock, right? We don't like to be woken up. It irritates us. But sometimes you need to be waked up because the irritation is less than what the problem would be if you weren't woken up. 
we need to be mindful of each other. This starts in the home. Young people, that's why your parents sometimes irritate you. They're just spurring you on. They care about you. And it's important for them to warn that you that you're heading towards some rocks, okay? But in this context, guys, this is something that's really culturally hard for us in American culture. This isn't just talking about family. This is talking about having a group of friends that are willing to do that with each other. That you, you know people so well that you're willing to kind of <laughs> get up in their business, Right? And say some things that maybe they don't want to hear, but they need to hear it. Now, what I am not giving you license for is to go out to all your friends and like a, a gun, just, you know, sort of shoot all of your, you know, words at them without any thought. In fact, if I could get really practical here for a moment, the question is, how do you do this? There's a, there's a statement that I've heard uh, many times and... Um, I think it really directs me as a pastor who often um, gets into these circumstances and situations and just as a Christian that we need to seek first to understand so as to be better understood. Do you know what that means, practically speaking? When you need to share something that might be a difficult message with someone, you need to do this. You need to ask questions first. Like, parents, I think you need to do that too. Like, there's some times where we know all the background of why something happened or why they did what they did. But what would happen if we came first and we first sought to understand before we blew up, right? What were they thinking as they went into that situation? What was on their heart? This is also true when you have a friend who is not your family, that you're seeing something. You're seeing them kind of uh, drift, in a direction that's not right or not good. And you think you might need to know what they need to hear. And in love, you will share it, God willing. I'm giving you the empowerment to do that today. Actually, no, God is, okay? But before you go out and just blast away, seek first to understand so as to be better understood. Because I guarantee you, you might think you know the whole story. But in my experience as a counselor and as a pastor, most of the time we don't. And so often being able for them to share what's on their heart will help us to better be able to craft our words in a way that still might hurt, but that are going to be even more helpful. Verse 25. Let us also not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So the writer is pointing out that one of the things that was going on that caused issues that led them to be <laughs> living swervingly was that they had stopped as Christians getting together on a regular basis. Here's the thing you need to know. God never designed Christians to live their faith in isolation. Let me say that again. God never designed Christians to live their lives in isolation. Your life as a Christian was never meant to be lived in isolation. This truth is found all throughout the Bible, um, but there's one section that I think might, you know, sort of give you an illustrative thing to remember and to think about. One of the ways that the Bible describes Christians or 
all of God's people by faith is as a body. And Jesus Christ is the head. How well do body parts work if they're not connected to the rest of the body? Like, let's say, for example, that you needed to get to your son's soccer game, but yet the kitchen is not cleaned up yet. Like, just a scenario, I'm just pulling out of thin air, okay? How well would it work to chop off your hands and leave them in the kitchen, and then you go to the game. Will your kitchen get cleaned up? And by the look of Shelly's face, like she thinks I'm nuts right now. And that is the whole point, right? It would be nuts to do that because you know, what I know is that your hands don't work if they're not connected to the rest of the body. It is just as crazy for Christians to think that they can be healthy and not drift if they are not connected to the rest of the body on a regular basis. And I will tell you that it is in this time frame in life and in this generation and in this culture where we are most tempted to do that, to separate from the body than ever before. You know why? You didn't need to get all dolled up and come to church today to hear a message, to hear a sermon. You could have just stayed home, been in your pajamas, had whatever coffee drink you want your your husband to make for you or whatever, and just sit there and watch a message, and it could be someone better than Ben and Matt. It could be anyone in the whole country. You can do that every single week. But I will tell you that over the course of my ministry, and I've, I've read about this too, it's not just me, I have found that when people drift from God, it almost always corresponds with drifting from the body. It's the family that moves to a new town and doesn't find a church. It's the college student who goes to college and doesn't find a place to grow or find a church. It's a new season of life, whether it's a new baby or the sporting season or whatever, a new season of life that isn't allowing us to have the habits to stay connected to the church body. Time and time again, drifting from God equates or corresponds to drifting from the body. And that makes sense because Christ is the head and we are the body and we cannot function very well when we are separated from the body. So, Paul says, let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. Encourage one another. Inspire courage in people. Give them the message now in the positive that they need to hear, the blessings that are theirs. And all the more as you see the day, as you see the last day, as you see Christ's return approaching. This is so huge. You see, our next fill-in, there is no community like Christian community. (laughs) If I ask for a share of hands, uh, how many of you need more friends to spend time with? Like, none of you would let, some of you would, but most of you would not raise your hands. You have enough friends You see friends every time you go to the game or every time you pick up your kids at school. Like you have friends at work. You have friends. But not every friend is equal, my friends. (laughs) Because if a friend doesn't understand the hope that we profess, the encouragement that they give is not that which we need. 
They are incapable of giving you the encouragement that Paul speaks about in verse 25. I was trying to think about some scenarios, and I know these are a little bit wooden, but um, here's the types of things that you might hear from someone that has no concept of Jesus. So you're struggling with something, they might say. Don't beat yourself up like that. Just remember, nobody's perfect. Okay. That kind of makes me like, so we all stink, I guess. Oh, okay. All right. And, but it does nothing to handle the guilt that I'm feeling. We're just all guilty, I guess. Or how about this one? Um, I know that you messed up, but at least you tried. Like, oh, that, that's worth, I tried. It, but it does nothing to address the inadequacy I feel because I can't get where other people are or even where I want to be. Doesn't, doesn't help with those deeper, those deeper feelings and emotions. How about this? I know some people were hurt by what you did, but you need to do whatever makes you happy. You need to be about you. Like, that sounds good, but it is horrible advice. Like, you know what makes me happy every night? I'm talking about ice cream a lot today. Eating more ice cream. I want to do it. You just need to do it. It makes you, no, I don't care if it makes me happy. It's not good in the long run, right? You don't need to do what makes you happy. You need to do what's best. And our friends who don't know Jesus are incapable of giving us that encouragement or accountability. Not because they're bad people. Just because they don't know. They don't understand. They're not wired the way that you and I are. You know, you know what, uh, Christian might say as you're struggling, and like I'm painting with a really broad brush here because there's lots of different circumstances, a lot of different situations. But let's say you're struggling with something you messed up with. You know, <laughs> I totally understand how you're feeling. I mess up too. But let's be honest, you messed up because you're not perfect <laughs> and are a sinner just like me. And I want you to know that I love you, <laughs> but this is a big deal. And in fact, that God hates sin. Now, again, you would not say, I'm going to keep going, but like you have to put this in your own words. I'm just giving you a framework. But you need to acknowledge that there is sin, and we need to share that it is a big deal. And then you know what we say? But I've got some great news for you. As big as your sin is and as big as this thing is, Jesus' love for you is greater and bigger. You see, God sent his son Jesus to this earth to die for you, not just the world, for you specifically. And when he died and rose again, he enabled us to not have to carry anything around, no guilt, no worry, no concern that we can give it all to him and know that we're okay, that everything is okay with God. So this was tough, but you can walk unburdened knowing that Jesus has taken care of it. Now, I know you're not going to say it exactly that way, but there's a very different outcome when someone encourages someone who's struggling with Jesus 
and what he's done rather than some good feelings and whatever Dr. Phil has to say. There is no community like Christian community. And so here at Bethlehem, we recognize that this is the case. And we also recognize that if your entire church experience is just coming on Sunday and sitting in rows, you're not going to be receiving what we talked about today. Um, rows are great for singing together, feeling the blessing of lots of people, and, and hearing a message about God. But rows do not allow this spurring and encouragement to happen. But instead, what we need to do is to get into circles for that to happen. And so we have this ministry called uh, small groups or growth groups where 8 to 12 to even 14 people might get together in, in homes and, um, and really get to know each other, to spur each other on because sometimes we need someone to irritate us, right? To encourage us because we need people who encourage us in the right way. About 10 years ago or so when we started small groups here, we had one group, it's like 10 people in it, Today, we have 20 different groups all over the metro, different nights, different days. I would love for you to consider it. So this is our stretch series. Here's your stretch goals. It's our our number four fill-in. If you're not yet in a community like that, your stretch goal in this area is to join a group. The way that you can do that if you want to be a part of a growth group is you can just stop at the computer on one of the high tops here and sign up. If you're not ready yet to know what day will work, there's a link on our main page um, of our website. You could do it there. Now, here's the other stretch goal because some of you are already in group. If you're already in community, you need to grow accountability. I I will tell you, this is something that the group that Carrie and I lead need to grow in. In fact, today we're starting for the year or the semester. I'm going to ask that question. How can we take it to the next level? How can we not be content with where we are, but how can we, in a good way, grow accountability and honesty and transparency with each other so it's more than, and our group is more than this, but so that it's more than just a gathering of people who talk about the football game, right? How can we grow this? I can't wait to see what the group has to say, but it's that important if you're already in community, grow accountability. So as we close, I know this is one more thing to do. I'm asking you to stretch in a way that maybe you're already stretched. In order to stretch, you might need to stop doing something in order to have time to do this. And for some of you, it's going to be really easy. All you need to do is stop binge-watching The Office for the fifth time, and you've got all the time you need right there every week. For others of you, there is no easy way to fit this in your schedule, but it is worth the struggle of figuring out what am I going to stop doing so I can take time once a week or once every other week to stretch in the right way. Because at the end of the stretch, oftentimes, is blessing. And that's true of community. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives, but we also thank you today for the presence of many other Christians that are either already in our lives or who over the next couple weeks as we put groups together are, are going to be in our lives. May we 
live and communicate in our groups in such a way where it's, just, it's more than just a social thing, although that's part of it, but that instead we're growing and in, in getting to know each other on a different level and are willing to, to hear from others and to be heard as we share that awesome message of truth and of grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.